Welcome to a brand new episode of the ER Podcast, the chronicle of American business and technology. Managers who are leading to growth in business and increase profits by automating those time-consuming tasks that nobody likes doing. It's about building the digital framework to scale unpredictable markets with maximum certainty. There's hundreds of enterprise software products. There's a thousand business stories in every city. Here, we take a look at the forward leaps of clients and industry affiliates of Profit from ERP. Welcome to the ER Podcast, episode 29, The Perfect Time for ERP. That's the title and theme of today's examination of just that. When should a growing company undertake an ERP project? And it's not a simple question. Any ERP project is massive. Whether you're a $12 million annual revenue company going from QuickBooks to Sage Intact or a $200 million company replacing Dynamics GP with a new cloud-based ERP, it's a lot of work. ERP is an intensive project. It needs an all-hands-on-deck approach. And the stakes are high. I mean, there's legendary stories. Everybody's heard about Hershey's Chocolate almost losing the company when a failed SAP effort meant that they couldn't ship product in the middle of peak Halloween and Christmas seasons. Not good. And there's also there's a lot of other stories from lesser known and, and, and more private companies. So when is the perfect time for ERP? We'll talk about three real-world examples of recent profit from ERP clients and the drivers behind those examples. Also, there's a lot of diverse opinion in the world of startups. Do you do the ERP project pre-IPO to show potential investors solid financial controls and operational efficiencies? Or do you wait until the next round of funding to be able to afford the higher-end ERPs with related SEC reporting tools to make sure of compliance needed by a public company. And then there's the staffing balance. We'll have more people on board next year so we can spread the ERP implementation workload across more resources. But if we had ERP already installed, we'd have to hire fewer people for the same size operation. So it's a toss up. Here's a conundrum. Most of us don't hire for excess capacity in our companies. It's more like, you know, we're, we're not sure of this data. It's coming from disparate spreadsheets. It's running late, last minute. Staff is working overtime on Saturdays. If we just had one more person to help chase down this data, which is a good solution, but by definition, a growing company continues to grow, and we just keep on adding one more person just to keep up. Pretty soon, there's 22 desks in the business office, and we're looking for more space because... Everybody's working overtime and Saturdays. (laughs) Putting things off until some magical someday when everything is going to get calm and collected and cool, that only takes us from complexity all the way to mass complexity. And then one day we wake up, (laughs) we realize, wow, it would have been a lot easier to implement ERP when the business was simpler. We could have managed growth a lot more systematically. Plus, instead of training 50 people all at once, We comprehensively train just the first 10 and and teach each onboarding employee the exact steps they need to use the software specifically for their job duties. And maybe we even start hiring people who've already been using the same ERP we just implemented. So what's the perfect time for ERP? Let's look at some real world examples, stories of companies that took a leap at different stages and how that all turned out. I'm your host, Gene Hammonds, Director of Profit from ERP our business consulting firm helping clients actually create profit 
from their ERP. Right back after this. The ER Podcast. Hey, word about our sponsors. Putting together the ER Podcast is a labor of love. It's often our first introduction to new clients. We also think about it in terms of giving back to the community, sharing stories of real-world ERP projects, how the market works, things that we've experienced over the years, and so on. As long as there's still ERP projects out there that fail or have huge cost overruns or don't do what the demo looked like they did, as long as there's a bad project out there, we'll keep pushing out the know-how to avoid those situations. But running a growing company, profit from ERP is just like any other emerging company. There's a lot to do, time's critical, and if we're going to allocate the time to the ER podcast, well, we need to be able to do it as more than a net loss leader. So we have sponsors. Now, the easiest way to get a podcast sponsor for a podcast is through placement brokers. You tell these brokers where the breaks are in your show, say, two minutes and 17 seconds into the podcast, and they'll pop some ad in there, and next thing you know, the podcast has a MyPillow ad, or, or it's Toyota-thon right in the middle of an ERP implementation discussion. But you, the listener, I think your time is valuable too, so we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to spotlight some of the, well, there's a lot of related products in and around the world of ERP and and business, software and technology, services groups. In other words, we're going to give you something of knowledge about a product or service that might end up being vital to the ongoing success of your project. And just like the ER podcast topics, not every ad or sponsor is going to be of direct interest to you. But as we create these ads, we want to focus on what our listeners would find advantageous. So it might be a little off topic, but you might pick up some ideas on how to integrate new programs in with what, what you're looking at using. And, and many of the times, it'll be something that's a direct advantage for your company. Like I say, your time's valuable. We want to recognize that. And that's today's sponsor message about sponsors on the ER Podcast. You can also help us out, do your part, by mentioning how you found out about a particular sponsor or get in touch with us at info at profitfromerp.com. We'll make a formal introduction to get you to the right place with any of our sponsoring firms. Of course, if the My Pillow guy calls, all bets are off. The ER Podcast. Welcome back to the ER Podcast. Today, we're going to look at three companies. Number one, an emerging pharma manufacturer whose promising compound just finished the research and development phase and got fast-tracked FDA approval to go to market. The company's moving from four people to a staff of 125 and replacing QuickBooks, all within the first six months. Number two is a growing audio-visual dealer and installer of auditorium, stadium, and amphitheater systems. And number three, we're going to look at an oil field support firm, and they can't track where their million-dollar equipment is, even with QuickBooks and a staff of 13. But before we go on to today's stories, it's the ERP planning calendar update. If you're looking for the perfect time to implement ERP, the ERP planning calendar, which is verbal and what we do right here, this helps you get an overall estimate of average project timing, okay? Our mainline clients are, are companies who are evaluating and implementing ERP. Now, the release date of this podcast is late August, scheduled for late August of 23. Um, For smaller companies just doing a QuickBook replacement, if you were to call Profit from ERP today, count on putting the project together and and give yourself time to evaluate and compare different software options. Give yourself about four months till you get to the purchase decision. But with the holidays, making a decision and going to contract by 12, 
31-23 from a late August start is, is almost a tight schedule. And then you've got the implementation that you've got to consider. If you select one of the made-for-cloud options, it's possible to get your financials live in, in 90 to 120 days. So you could be live by Q2 next year. And, and uh, that's for core financials. Some operational modules may be following shortly thereafter. Um, for mid-sized corporate projects, six months minimum for selection, six months for implementation. So you'd be looking at a Q4 24 launch, more likely you know January 1, 2025. Um, so if you're looking for schedules that are faster than January, 2025, we would recommend some urgency on the front end of your project instead of everybody panicking in, in, in September next year. Anyway, contact us tomorrow at info at profit from ERP.com. We'd be glad to help you out with that. Of course, there are untold millions of elements that could either accelerate or delay those estimates depending upon the complexity of your clients, what software you pick, everything like that. But averages being what they are, just something to keep in mind as we talk about the perfect time for ERP. Story number one, the pharma company. As you probably know, getting a new drug to market takes years of research, testing, clinical trials, FDA approval, and so on. And it's not just huge pharma companies. Sometimes it's a small independent R&D team or, or even sometimes a single research scientist that's come up with a promising compound. They can then hire contract research companies to run the clinical trials, do the testing, and the FDA submissions. In many cases, the entire early stage company consists of a scientist or two, a money guy slash angel stage investor, and usually a part-time bookkeeper to pay the bills and keep the books in order, is super small staff. The FDA recently created a fast-track approval process, which was designed to get promising drugs to the market in a shortened time frame. Now, what this meant for our pharma startup is that after years of limited activity, they suddenly have approval to go commercial, and the company needed to expand from four people to a business plan estimate of 105 people on staff. They had the financing, but they were looking for new CEOs and CFOs. They also needed supply chain managers, national sales teams, quality, packaging, labeling, general staffing. They needed a lot of people. In this case, the former part-time QuickBooks bookkeeper was tasked to select and implement ERP. But this wasn't the only software project going on at the time. FP&A, that's the Financial Planning and Analysis Department, they were implementing advanced financial planning software and SEC reporting software. There was a stock option software managing project. There was a quality system software, lab management software, HR software, expense management and AP, as well as a medical CRM package. Millions of dollars of software investments, none of which were coordinated with one another. And often the person who would be in, eventually in charge of some of these systems wasn't even hired or even identified yet. We were leading the ERP evaluation only, and from the start it was mayhem. We narrowed the field down to a couple of products. We were, we'd used at our former pharma clients, Microsoft Dynamics AX and, and NetSuite. Almost weekly, the QuickBooks bookkeeper would call and say, Hey, what about Super Biz Pro? she'd say. We just hired a new supply chain manager, and his former company used SuperBizPro, and he loves it. 
not having heard of Super Biz Pro, we do some checking and, and find a fledgling ERP publisher with maybe 25 companies using it or had used it at one time. Not really a competitor of Dynamics AX's 20-year international record in pharma manufacturing with thousands of industry references, nor anywhere near NetSuite's cutting edge made-for-cloud technology. But if the guy in supply chain likes Super Biz Pro, <laughs> it, it was hectic. And remember, the company's going from four people to 125. So every week, there's someone else walking through the bookkeeper's office, all of whom had come from pharma manufacturers. So they had more experience in pharma than she did. And all were making good nature suggestions. And we didn't have a filter to look at the good suggestions and filter out the bad ones. But finally, we, we did reach a decision. We started the implementation. We pulled together a nationally leading NetSuite reseller, great consulting team. The lead financial consultants was a Sox whiz based in Miami. That's Sarbanes-Oxley, not foot socks. We had developers in Denver. We had subject matter experts in Memphis, Austin. We had a great team for our East Coast-based client. Only the advice of the consulting team went unheeded. It started with the data import discussion, okay? Now, one thing about QuickBooks and many other bookkeeping systems, exporting data and importing into ERP is tremendously time-consuming and super expensive. Bringing bad data into a new system is the surest way to corrupt the data integrity of the new system. So you've got to be careful. And there's many issues here. For one thing, setting up the chart of accounts in the new ERP, it's always going to be different than how you would have set up QuickBooks when you were first starting out. So it's not a one-to-one import-export. Secondly, you can, with $14,000 or so in consulting time, recreate the books from the early years of into the new system. That is, replicate what you already have, years of QuickBooks records from the years prior to the ERP launch, bring them forward. But you're bringing in data from a private company into what will shortly become an SEC-regulated, SOX-compliant public company. Even if you had set up QuickBooks to handle public accounting responsibilities, I don't even know you can do that. And not many part-time accounting people are SOX knowledgeable. Bringing all that data over into the new ERP just opens huge liability. Now, here's the thing. You already have those books from the early years in QuickBooks. You have that data balanced, audited, or at least reviewed by your company CPA. It's done and finished. Just keep a single user copy of that around. And while you might be on, you know, the online version of QuickBooks and there's annual subscription costs, you can go down to Costco, purchase the QuickBooks desktop version for something like $263 and download your QuickBooks online file. And that file will upload into desktop. And now you have all your early data available to refer to as long as you need to. Now, sure. Now we're going to bring over trial balances so we can compare this year's sales to last year's sales. Oh, wait, it's a new pharma manufacturer. No product yet, no sales. Okay, but the inventory, no, they didn't have inventory either. Manufacturing cost, no, we haven't manufactured anything. <laughs> We're taking this compound to market all in the new system. What a great place to stick a stake in the ground and start running from there. Here's another ERP industry trick we used to do. Say this were, say we were replacing an outdated ERP with a new ERP package. We did this several times with a company I worked with decades ago. The customer, usually accounting and finance-driven groups, 
demand we bring over all 10 years of historic data from the old system into the new ERP package. That pretty much is a request every time, everywhere, right? And back then, it wasn't cloud software and Excel imports were yet to be developed. Not to mention, both systems have proprietary code bases. They don't speak the same language. But if your job was in accounting and finance, the books, accounting is what you do all day, all week for years. It's the most important thing to you and the company. Do you know how hard we've worked all these years putting this together? What we would say is the ERP implementation team is, let's bring over the trial balances from past years and we'll import a full year of transactions. Then after go live, we can go back and start importing full data from previous years and build backwards, that sort of thing. And usually everyone's kind of happy with that. So we move forward with the implementation. Now, the newer ERP systems had better keystroke logs than the older systems did. Technology just got better. And after go live, probably six months later, we'd have our expert consultants go into the ERP system logs and pull out who and how many times any of the users went back to look up the year-old data that we'd imported to launch the new system. Typically, there'd be 100-plus lookbacks the first month of the new system going live, and then maybe 22, and then 6, and then for the last three months, maybe one user had gone back into the historic data that was only one year old, right? The first couple of times we did this, we would come prepared with an estimate of how much time and, and cost it would be to import all the previous years of historic data, not just the first year, which is already there, but everything. And we found we would never quite get as far as pulling that estimate out because we'd mentioned building backward, importing the earlier year's data, and we'd get a blank stare from the accountants. What are you talking about? Well, we're talking about what you mentioned as being very critical pre-go live. But here's the thing. The new ERP system had become the books. Everyone in accounting had spent months implementing the new system, ensuring trial balances, new chart of accounts, making sure everything tied out, reporting, new reporting they could never do before, automated bill paying, set up allocations, everything. The old numbers, the historic data, it no longer mattered. What mattered was the books. And the new ERP had become the books. It's more illustrative and important to recognize the transition in the minds of the users. I mean, one, you need to understand how vitally critical the historic data is to the business office. You've got to get that going in. It's all they have. It's all they professionally live for. You have to get that. Two, you need to understand that implementing software creates changes in the business system, but also changes in the users. However, they can't see that, not ever having experienced, or if they did, it was many years ago. But as someone has seen company after company go through this change, you need to recognize that the first state of mind that valued the historic data, and know eventually you're going to convert to a new state of mind where the new system is top of mind. But these kinds of lessons can make or break an ERP project. Downplay the historic data up front, and you lose all credibility with the users. What do you mean we won't have historic data? And... If you miss bringing over enough summary data, your reporting just doesn't work. So you try to bring everything over. It can be so time-consuming, and it requires everyone minutely scrubbing dozens of 12,000-row spreadsheet lines of data. That alone can sink a project. So anyway, back to our startup pharma manufacturer. They decided to ignore the advice of the national consulting team and because they'd never imported data, they decided they needed someone on site to help with these data exports imports. 
So they hire another local data import consultant to bring all the data in, everything. Have we mentioned that this was a cloud version of QuickBooks and a cloud version of NetSuite? Neither system was on site, so why was it critical to have the consultant on site to import the data? Don't ask too many questions. Don't, just don't go there. They brought in this local consultant from another firm, McWhatever, and she informed them that NetSuite was a very small program, not a major player like she was used to, Sage. Now, having been the leading manager with the largest Sage reseller in the country from 2001 to 2005, I know that Sage is a billion-dollar global conglomerate traded on the London Stock Exchange, but most of their products are for smallish businesses. They run about 17 different programs, accounting, bookkeeping, some early ERP in the U.S. Maybe they're double that, 17 nationwide. You might have heard of some of these names if you spend any time in smaller companies. Things like Mass90, Mass200, Mass500, Timberline, Peachtree, X3, several other programs. You just have to trust me. The local consultant, she didn't know that. She only knew that she'd used something called Sage. Red flag, right out of the box. Now, there, I mean, there's an overall company called Sage, maybe 40 total programs worldwide. None of them is just called Sage. They, they've rebranded some of them to Sage 100, Sage 200, Sage 300. But you ask her which Sage product she was familiar with, and she quickly changed the subject. Anyway, big problems were just beginning. The entire consulting team advised the client that she'd hired someone who was an actual threat to the success of the project. The biggest red flag, I think, is what they referred to her as, so we have multiple major software projects all over the company. We got a project leader who's never been in management, blowing in the wind in all directions based on who was last in her office. And this is a perfect example. When you're trying to start up this quickly and this comprehensively, pulling in a full consulting team should have been brought them on board to manage all the software and then be able to get people with 10, 15, 20 years experience, and once everything's up and running, then turn it over to the department directors. But it was all over the board. Was this a perfect time for ERP? No. The project failed by any measure. You cannot implement a dozen major software programs by department at the same time across a single organization. You need that comprehensive approach, and selecting software programs that have at least been integrated before in the past, because they're going to need to be integrated in the future. But most of all, you need a project leader who can stand up to all the new people walk into her office with new ideas. Sure, some of these program recommendations had been the right answer 10 or 12 years ago when they were implemented in their former companies from the new department managers. But 10 or 12 years, that's three generations of technology ago. It's akin to somebody walking in the IT office today and saying, Office 365, we use Windows XP and I really liked it. <laughs> yeah, I know I need better examples because half the audience doesn't even remember what Windows XP was. But that's kind of the point. Without confident leadership and consistent direction, the ERP project floundered. We can only imagine how all the other software projects were progressing. The last we'd heard, the project leading bookkeeper was no longer with the company. The ER Podcast. Example number two. Another situation to consider is when in your growing company do you pull the trigger on a new ERP system? We've talked a bit about early stage startups who are completely busy, going crazy with new growth, and it always seems like we've got so many priorities that we should probably delay till next year. And when next year comes, 
Oh, man, we're busy again. The, new, the four new people we brought in, they're also super busy. No extra time for an ERP project. When the reality is, you're never going to hire more people than you should have hired already yesterday to get today's work done. I mean, you never catch up. That is no small business, mine included, hire somebody just in case a big project's going to come along so we're going to have some capacity. You hire for urgent need. The increased hiring lags the increased workload. Hiring the right fit probably takes longer than you planned, so by the time you do get somebody on board, you're now a larger company than when you started looking, and it's really time to start bringing somebody else on board. That, by definition, is the rapidly growing startup. So there were these two companies we worked with, both approximately $30 million in annual revenue, both with complex business models. One had implemented ERP three years earlier when they were smaller, when they were a $14 million company, knowing actually that they were too small for a system such as NetSuite at the time. It would, it would have to be a kind of a stretch purchase for them. The other one kept trying to deal with issues using QuickBooks and more and more spreadsheets. So three years later, the NetSuite-based company was running the business with the same six positions in the business office they'd had to start, accounting, finance, purchasing, all those people. The QuickBooks company had grown to 13 people in their business office and still <laughs> still couldn't tell you where their million-dollar oil field equipment was. It was out of control. So six people with NetSuite, total control, plan control growth. QuickBooks and 13 people and millions of dollars of assets are totally out of control. Nobody knows where they are. The QuickBooks company was, at that point, actively shopping to find a buyer for the company. And the CFO of the QuickBooks company said, well, besides that, we can't afford ERP right now. What he was saying was he didn't want to spend $70,000 in licensing and installing ERP. But he was willing and, in fact, was spending $420,000 each year on excess staff. Of course, that was just one $60,000 a year employee at a time. And it was a repeat of the last FTE approval to hire due to growth-generated workflow. So it seems simple. Two issues here. One, it's easy to hire one more person to help with the workload. Simple decision. You hire new people all the time. It's natural. Launching an ERP project is uncommon, and there are some unknowns. You really don't know how well the new system's going to help. And who, I mean, who knows if it's going to help at all? Two, once you have 13 people on staff, announcing you've been spending $420,000 a year in labor that you could have automated with ERP, eh, not the kind of thing the CFO once broadcast internally across the company. Better just ride this one out. Not the perfect time for ERP, at least if you're that CFO. The ER Podcast. Now let's talk about our other company. That was the Emerging AV Dealer. And I know when you mention audiovisual or AV, there's this mental image of this high school AV team pushing projectors into the classrooms, or maybe that's just dating me. I don't know. But this is not that. Imagine, if you will, performing surgery at Johns Hopkins in a video-connected session from the operating room, consulting with an expert surgeon at Cedars-Sinai an entire continent away. The patient's vital signs are superimposed on the screen. The video's high-definition sharp. The monitor's megapixel beyond clear. There's no audio lag, no latency. It's not a Zoom hookup. It's not just monitors and cameras, but there's multiple servers behind the scenes controlling and routing signals from many digital inputs. Along with perfect lighting, no expenses spared because, in this case, it is a life-and-death situation, and 
it might well be actual brain surgery. The technology is amazing. The engineers who design and the technicians who install this gear are very talented professionals using the latest cutting-edge equipment. And that's the level of AV services we're talking about here. Operating rooms, university auditoriums, stadiums, high-level corporate conference rooms. So you have this highly technical company. Company president had crafted his own project management system to manage workload within and pricing. The AV system architecture, engineering approval, really savvy spreadsheets designed to help with all these areas. But as well as his four-level system worked, it was still missing some things like purchasing and advanced inventory management. It just didn't scale and it wasn't integrated. So they were already in a really spreadsheet-heavy situation. So we did a software evaluation. As the final decision narrowed, we completed the cost revenue model. That's the business analysis that's done with the focus on how ERP will impact efficiencies, showing how transactional costs were reduced, and more flexible reporting enabled things like annual purchase by vendor and great for negotiating discounts here and there, things like that. The cost revenue model showed if they followed a fairly conservative implementation of ERP and adopted best practices, the company would avoid cost increases and see revenue enhancements to be able to save nearly $5 million over three years. They were very interested in the profit from ERP cost revenue analysis and asked for copies of the spreadsheets and, and calculations. Three years later, we circled back and we, we talked a, a lot about their system and it was very successful. They liked it a lot. We asked if they had followed the cost revenue model. It's on an earlier podcast. And had they achieved the $5 million positive impact? And they kind of sort of chuckled, right? They said, it was, it was a good plan. The plan you did, Gene, that was a good plan. But what the cost revenue model actually did was it opened their eyes to how this stretch purchase, this system that was probably too big for them, but could be used to pay for itself and grow them into the size company that where it should be afforded. And this justified buying the larger ERP than they'd actually budgeted. They liked the ideas and the cost revenue model. They just took that plan and reworked it to actually fit more within their own growth plans. Well, obviously, my question was, yeah, but what about the $5 million over three years? Well, they said they'd exceeded that $5 million, more like tripled it. They'd gone from a $14 million company to a $28 million operation. They were in negotiations to expand in Japan and Australia with uh, contracts on the line to become a $48 to $50 million company in the next year. Wow. So at this point, we have two companies in the discussion. A $30 million oil field services company with 13 people in the business office that cannot grow. And their only path forward was to sell the company and let somebody else deal with it. And the $28 million AV company with the same six people in the business office that were there the first day we walked through the door. Tightly controlled, able to plan, executed phenomenal growth, and expanded into other markets. Probably buying up competitors that had too many people in their business offices and overhead preventing their growth. Look, what was the difference? The cost revenue model showed the AV company exactly what ERP could do in their situation. But it was just that. It was one model. They saw how the model worked, and they were able to create their own model and prosper exponentially. In the other case, the lack of a cost revenue model or understanding how ERP could help meant the oil field company's only move was to hire one more person to handle the ever-growing forest of spreadsheets. 
Now, let's do another quick insight into the ERP software market. Every year, hundreds, maybe thousands of companies reach out to software vendors or ERP partner organizations. They have a desire to run better systems in the office, and they don't exactly know what they're looking for, but they know there has to be a better way. ERP fits that bill, and now which ERP? That's another question. But these thousands of companies engage with hundreds of ERP sales teams, and they do a lot of research. They compare different ERP programs. They spend weeks and weeks of staff time, as well as engaging with multiple pre-sales groups from different vendors. And you know what the number one competitor for every ERP company in America is? It's called no decision. That's right. The overwhelming majority of these potential customers, regardless of industry, regardless of size, they spend months evaluating ERP software and find it confusing. They'll find it expensive and lacking perfect information, which you're never going to have perfect information on any decision. But lacking perfect information, they stall and finally something else will come up and they'll put their ERP decision on hold. Now, some of them may come back and try it again next year. Some of them never really get started again. I don't know what happens to them. Many, many companies go through this cycle three or four times over maybe a five or six year period before they ever actually make a buying decision. It happens in the majority of all evaluations. No decision is every salesperson's biggest competitor, every salesperson's greatest nightmare, and the biggest marketing issue faced by all the ERP vendors. Why is it so hard to make these decisions? The standard approach to evaluating software just doesn't provide much more than a lot of marketing hype with flashy demos and a lot of sales puffery. But here's the solution. Back to our AV company. When they engage with profit from ERP, our first step, and it's always to execute a business analysis part of the project, gather the requirements. What does a new ERP have to do? How does it have to work? This critical step allows a new structure to the entire evaluation approach. We can start to pare down ERP systems from hundreds down to the dozens based on the specific programs that address our major client requirements. And then we can further structure the evaluation to focus on the specifics of our requirements, not the flashy demo of functions we really won't ever use. And we can put some structure to the demo, systematically approaching every requirement. And for some companies, 75, 125 requirements is not unheard of. Definitely more to a mid-sized company. Next, we rank our requirements by financial impact. And this is the cost revenue model. It details what the major requirements will do. Are we using better warehouse management to affect inventory? Are we eliminating duplicate data entry and streamlining operations? Better reporting for accurate decision making? The list goes on and on. But now we have an ROI study and a break-even cash flow study that shows us when our payback for the project is. We can compare different software. We like the way software A looks, but software B really solves our planning issues. And that's the key drag on company growth. So now you have a way to evaluate which is more important to you. Now the entire question has changed. Before our question was, should we get some new software? Now the question is, when should we start saving $5 million in labor costs and avoided expenses? See the difference? Should we change software versus should we make the company more efficient by X million dollars? It's a different decision. So with better information, you can pinpoint that perfect time for ERP. Now, switching back 
to my days with larger software firms working with multinational companies. They would have teams of business analysts working on that question for years before they'd launch a $5 million SAP project. In the mid-market sized companies, you probably don't have a business analysis department, even if you do have a business analyst or two on staff, but do they know ERP? Are they familiar with the many different and the latest versions of ERP offerings? Do they understand how the software can work in the real world based on past client successes, not the success stories listed on the vendor website? Can they architect and design a system to address the root causes of inefficiency and drive productivity? So, you really want to know the perfect time for ERP? Start with business analysis requirements and the cost revenue model. It's step one and two of our methodology and the 10 factors used by the most successful ERP adopters. Now, doing these first two steps doesn't commit you to any additional steps or a fixed package of consulting. That is, we have clients who have come to us in the startup stage. We do a limited engagement, lay out the objectives, costs, goals, and allow strategic decisions when the time is right. When you have a tiny startup staff, it can be too early to bite off too much. Or you may need to structure the project with staff augmentation to bring in that expertise you need to help with the project without committing long-term labor costs before you're ready for that particular FTE in your organization. Or if you're in a higher growth phase, how to plan ERP before you've thrown so many bodies at the problem, you're locked into overstaff costs that prohibit sprinting in technology. It'll give you information specific to your company and your situation, the information to present the no decision, indecision trap. It's never too early to start talking about the perfect time for ERP. So contact your software consultants or reach out to Profit from ERP. Never too early to start talking and initial discussions aren't a billable event. If we can't save you money on the project, well, we're not doing our jobs very well. And that's what we're all about here at Profit from ERP. Be in touch via email, info at profitfromerp.com, and we'll get back to you with the right resource. I'm Gene Hammonds, Director of Profit from ERP. Thanks for listening to this week's ER podcast. And do leave a review, and five-star ratings are certainly appreciated. Oh, and always the ERP comment line. Got a thought, comment, criticism, lead, story suggestion? 833-836-4440. 24-7. Call, leave a comment. Leave your contact info if you'd like to discuss further and perhaps uh, appear on the program later. Anyway, however you do it, be in touch. This was another episode of the ER Podcast, documenting the ongoing evolution of profit from ERP with experience from over 450 ERP projects spanning the last two decades. We focus on the changes in technology emerging weekly, all to ensure profit from ERP. For links and downloads from today's podcast, visit ProfitFromERP.com, a production of Rolling Thunder Studios.